0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty.
1: And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We have a great show for you. We're going to get to a bunch of Ag PhD mailbag questions that we've had uh, really coming in for the last uh, couple of weeks that we haven't been able to get to. So hopefully we'll do a little catch up on that today. We're going to talk about some other current agronomy things, Darren, I want to get into a little bit on drainage and a little bit more on fungicides, herbicide pricing, Uh, just some of the other commonly talked about things right now, a little bit on prepay. Um, If you would like to call in today, our phone lines will be open all throughout the show today. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. We are live in the Morton studio today, and to begin with, Darren, I just wanted to bring up, I was reading an article, this was out of the state of Michigan, and there was, the author had just used these words, and he may not mean exactly what I think he means, but In this article about tile and that, you know, that we've had, there's been more rain and everything else, and people are doing more tiling. He used this sentence. He said, Another issue is farmers putting in their own tiles in fields to drain faster so they can farm more land. And as soon as anybody brings up tiling and draining faster, I go, Whoa, whoa." okay, we got to stop and talk here for a minute. If ground is 100% saturated, Let's say it's not tiled, and let's say it rains three inches. Where does all the rain go if the ground has any slope to it at all? It all runs off. Now granted, if the ground is perfectly flat, or let's say it's got a hole in the middle, well, yeah, then there's going to sit water on that ground. But, I mean, realistically, 90% of farm ground in the United States has at least a little bit of slope. So the ground is going to have erosion. The ground is going to lose potentially some of its fertility, maybe even some herbicides you applied. And my point is simply this. Whenever I hear people talk about, well, farmers want a tile so they can drain their ground faster. I understand what you mean, but that's not technically correct. It's going to drain the ground more slowly. And here's here's where I'm going with this. Okay, if we get that three-inch rain and it runs, let's say we get a three-inch rain in an hour. And unfortunately, it feels to me as a farmer like we're getting more big rains lately. That may not actually be the truth, but that's certainly what it feels like. Okay, so you get a three-inch rain in an hour. Well, three inches of rain just left your field in an hour. Now, if you have drain tile in that ground, how long does it take for 3 inches of rain to leave your field if your ground could have held all that 3 inches to begin with. And what I mean by that is when you have tile in the ground, all you're doing is lowering the water table and that's giving your field capacity to hold water when it rains. So very commonly, we find that a 3-inch rain, a lot of that can get held in the field now. Well, that's much better than seeing it run off. So instead of, 3 inches going out in an hour, if let's say you had your drainage coefficient for easy math at a half inch per acre per day, you simply divide that out and that means it would take 6 days for that water to leave the field. Uh, let's see, what's 6 times 24? Uh, doing that math that'd be 144. Uh, 100, it'd take 144 hours to leave the field as opposed to 1 hour. So, Again, I understand where a lot of people start talking about, oh, they're going to drain their fields faster. Oh, we're going to drain them slower. It's just we're going to drain them out when you're not thinking about it. For example, in the fall, most of the time, how often are rivers plumb full? Yep, this fall we had record rainfall, but almost every other year the rivers are way down in the fall. Well, when we get some fall rain and enough so the tile lines run, then the water goes out. Well, if you had ground that wasn't tiled this fall and it sat 100% 100% full of water, it might still be 100% full of water and what's going to happen come spring? Snow melt, rain, all that's going to have to run off as opposed to being able to soak into the ground like we would like. So it's just one of the things where you, you got to think this all the way through. Anyway, when it comes to tile, I just think there's a lot of bad information out there and there's a lot of bad information about almost everything in agriculture. I just, I ran into a farmer Uh, a guy that I've worked with for a long time. And he just said, boy, you guys are so busy doing stuff all the time. I don't know how you have the energy for it. And I said, Rick, I am just so excited, number one, about agriculture and the future of agriculture. It's great. I love what I get to do every day because it's helping people. And I said, the other thing that just, it makes me mad and it also motivates me is all the horrible nonsensical information that's put out there by a lot of people in the media by our politicians by non-farmers it just infuriates me most of the time because it's terrible information just like people saying oh tile's bad for the environment and tile's gonna flood us out and all this i'm going what are you talking about that's the dumbest thing i ever heard tile's fantastic it's the best thing you could possibly do for the environment And anyway, you talk about, okay, like right now for farmers, we're just under attack. All right. Roundup causing cancer. Ridiculous. Uh, Farmers are polluting the environment. Come on. Get real. Uh, I I mean, there are a hundred things out there that you you can read about me, probably more than that, where where it's negative toward farmers, yet it's not true. It's not true. And so that's part of why we do Ag PhD TV and radio, so we can give you some information about how does this work agronomically? How does this work in terms of um, how safe is a product, how safe is a technology? And if, we're, if we are doing the right things as farmers and agronomists, then our yield should go up, which means we should be producing more food for our growing world. And we should be doing that safely and, and nutritiously. So in other words, we raise more nutritious crops moving forward. So things that are better for people, food that is better for people. And ultimately, our goal here is that we do the right things for the environment and the land. So we are building up the soil. We are enriching the soil. We're doing the right things for the earth moving forward. So anyway, I'll get off my platform. We'll take your phone calls and answer your questions coming up next on Ag PhD Radio. Using n Nitrogen Stabilizer with fall fertilizer
0: applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show n delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre. And NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com.
2: We know balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid has the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. Plus the expertise to give you a recommendation based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. AgriLiquid has the phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrient products necessary to deliver the best results from a solid fertility program. Visit AgriLiquid.com to find a dealer near you. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG soil fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield.
3: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds including kochia, tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
1: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We are broadcasting today from the Morton studio. We'd love to take your phone call. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Well, first today, we wanted to talk just a little bit about grain marketing. We do this about once a week here on the show with our friends from Grain PhD. we got Scott Harms on with us now. He's also with Archer Financial Services. Scott, how are you doing today?
4: Very good. Good afternoon.
1: Yeah, uh, I I got to tell you, Scott, I am doing a little bit better today, too, because finally it feels like the market is reacting. Um, what uh, wh- what can you tell us about what's going on right now? We've seen a little bump here over the last couple of weeks, and especially even today.
4: Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, ever since the trade deal was announced and we inched closer to it, as we we're getting closer to it, then you get the announcement a couple of weeks ago. The market has found some nice support, especially since the funds are holding on to a short position going into that. Uh, so we've seen kind of a steady decline. Come off uh, our lows in being some 80 cents, and being and corn 20 20 cents. Uh, wheat marketed it's actually rallied uh, over a dollar from uh, its lows from just a couple months ago. So a lot of it is short covering, uh, but a lot of it is perhaps new investment money comes in at the end of the year. Uh, we look at the commodities, the ag commodities, and they've generally underperformed other commodities as you across the spectrum. And so if you're looking for investment opportunity, if you get fresh money that maybe is leaving the stock market, you may see some of that spilling into uh, commodities uh, to protect against inflation, especially with the weaker dollar. So, but that's, that's part of it. But uh, you know, the, the real key is um, this trade deal. And I think we're still uh, just in the beginning phases of factoring it in. Uh, There's been just a real skepticism, as to whether the deal will find, will actually get finalized, and then once it's announced, um, even continue to be skepticism, and that skepticism is earned. But the bottom line is the deal is in place, and um, we'll have a signing on the 15th of January, and and um, we expect for things to to move forward, and perhaps continue to see progressively higher prices as the funds continue to liquidate. They're still short about 20,000 contracts of corn. Excuse me, 20,000 contracts of beans. And eighty thousand contracts of corn, so they still got some room to go if they wanted to get flat prior to that January tenth production report.
1: Talking about that production report, there is a lot of talk about hey, numbers probably are going to get cut a little bit. Do you think that's actually going to happen? What 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 is being expected out of this next report?
4: Yeah, the expectation is for a slight cut, but that you know I've been looking for a cut for a while, and and those of us in that camp have been largely disappointed over the last, uh, what, four months? Yep. Um, yeah, they, I mean, the the real surprise was in the August production report when they raised corn production three and a half bushel an acre. That was a shocker to the trade. we were down sharply that day. And, and you know, that was when we had so much of the corn yet to be even pollinated. We were so far behind. So I, yeah. I, I argued with that uh, uh, increase in yield uh, back then. And I think that we could easily get back to that August or that J- July production number 166 yield. Uh, that would be a cut of a bushel an acre. And um, if that's the case, I don't see any reason why we can't get back up into the 410 area. That's where we we're trading around that time frame. So I certainly expect a cut. Uh, I think the trade now, and probably a lot of these market analysts that, that try to guess what the USEA is going to do again, they like to be right. So uh, given the USDA's trend of keeping it somewhat steady, um, my expectation is that when the, when the uh, trade guesses come out next week, that uh, we're going to see a, a very small cut from the expectations. And that does set the stage for a potential surprise if indeed you know, the USDA you know gets a little more aggressive in factoring in some of this late crop that's still out there in the field and that potential yield loss, as well as as they got into you know, their final test plots and some of those final farmer surveys, all that information, it will be fresh as of after November 1st. And there was still a lot of the crop yet to be harvested at that time. So they're going to get some, we are going to be working some, with some fresh data. Um, hopeful that, you know, we can get that kind of supportive surprise and, and uh, set up better prices.
1: All right. There are a lot of farmers out there. That still have a lot of 2019 grain to market. And I'm sure they're looking the same as I am for good opportunities and exactly how to do that. What else? So, we talk about, you talked about trade a little bit. You talked about potential production cut in the report. But, I mean, is there anything else that a farmer should kind of be looking for now when it comes to opportunities to be selling moving forward?
4: Yeah, I I think. you know, I think we're going to get information, potentially all positive. You know, some positive information here in waves. And uh, again, I say that the funds are short. That you know, if my expectation is that they're going to get to flat, and that's the first wave. Uh, then you get you know potential positive news from the. Uh, USDA announcement next Friday. When if they do indeed lower production, then you're going to get that signing on the 15th. Again, there's skepticism until the, until the signatures are on the paper. There's always going to be skepticism. So I think there will be a market reaction if indeed that you know that when that takes takes place, and then when we start to actually see large scale sales we should continue to see you know that should boost the trade as well so don't be you know people shouldn't be sitting on the sidelines watching all this happen you need to have a plan to take advantage of it we we like to use the inverted pyramid uh, selling program where you, you know, whatever product you want to use, whether you're using cash or whether you use forward contracting or futures um, or options, you know, we use the inverted pyramid where you scale into it slowly. So you sell 10%, then 20%, then 30%, then 40%. You can fit the model however you want to. You could sell 10% at the first two increments, but then 20%. But I think the key is not to be on the sidelines. There is some real Positive news. I think we're in the first three innings of figuring. If you could use a baseball analogy of factoring in this trade deal, so we've got a long ways yet to go, uh, but we don't want to be on the sidelines. Just first perspective. I was looking at today in March of 2018. That was before the trade deal. The trade uh, war, I guess you want to use that term, got started in April is really when that kicked off. We had. Uh, Corn, May corn was trading around 3.95, and we had a a 2.1 billion bushel carryover. Well, this year we have 200 million bushel less, and we're barely at 3.95. Beans, it's a little more pronounced. It beans, that uh, last March we were at 10.70, and we had a 555 million bushel carryover estimate. This year we're working with 4.75, so we've got 80 million less beans, and we are probably trading what some a dollar or so below where we were before the trade war started. So yeah. it's really hard for people to get their arms around this supportive news, and people want to be uh, cynical about it, and I suppose that's earned. But I think you need to be optimistic and work your plan now and don't sit on the sidelines. But there's some good things going to happen, but you got to be able to take advantage of it because if South America does have a big crop – Um, you know, we're going to be looking at perhaps some different prices by the end of the spring.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that I'm going to continue to mention that I know I did the last one of the last times we talked, but I'm really concerned about grain quality out there, especially with corn. There was so much wet corn, even on our farm. We're trying to get some stuff out here in the next couple weeks because it's not in the condition I want it to be in and I'm just worried about, hey, when it gets to March and things warm up, now what kind of conditions that grain going to be in? So we're trying to get rid of cash grain and then do some something on the board whether it's you know we're dealing with just straight out futures or uh, puts calls whatever we're going to do but just the the point is we got to do something with the cash grain and quite frankly the basis is pretty good so we've got a real opportunity there so uh, real quick before i let you go scott uh, grain phd uh, been going for a couple of years now it's a great resource for farmers that want to get more help with grain marketing when someone reaches out to grainphd.com what can they expect
4: well, if you go to grainphd.com, you're you're able to take advantage of all the educational material and some of the research that's on there, information that's on there for free. If you sign up, uh, then you're going to receive additional market research when letters are written. You're going to get breaking news blasts. And then if you want a, a consult with someone, you know, like myself, um, you know, Everyone is, is different and what they need for their operation. You know, you can sign up and you can request someone to give you a call, and it's important for you as a producer to be comfortable with what you're doing and, and uh, before you step into using the futures and options, be entirely comfortable. So everyone works at their own pace. Uh, and for those that want to get ready and work on a plan, we've got some plug-and-play where you can enroll some bushels, but the key is to have a diversified plan and, and get started.
1: All right, again, we've been talking to Scott Harms with Grain PhD and Archer Financial Services. If you want more information from Scott, just go to grainphd.com. Scott, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Yep, you too. All right, we'll be right back with your phone calls and your email questions right after this.
5: Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit atticusllc.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic is proven to defeat yield robbers like Waterhemp, tail, and Giant Ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit BattleWeeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions.
2: Sir, yes, sir! you know a healthy crop is required for your best results. Simply put, balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid fertilizers have the research, technology, and products to deliver those results. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you with your fertility decisions. AgriLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit AgriLiquid.com to find a dealer near you.
4: When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup
5: Ready Extend crop system for control of more weeds than any other soybean system featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to
0: control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit roundupreadyextend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state.
2: Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. Our exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more.
0: Hey everybody, come on in, the Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to AgPhD Radio. We're jumping into the AgPhD mailbag because we've got a bunch of emails that we want to get to, a lot of questions coming in, but our phone lines are open too. So if you have a question, want to talk about it, you can just give us a call at 844 44 AgPhD. Or if you want to send an email, it's radio at agphd.com. Uh, first one comes from India. This is from Prasanth. He says, uh, I've got agricultural land that's pretty salty. So we started installing drainage tile five years ago. We're going at a 40-foot gap between the tile lines and digging them in three and a half to 4 feet. We've covered about half our acres, but the other half we have not gotten to yet. Uh, We have access to sulfuric acid. We do not have access to gypsum. Wondering what you would do to solve this salt problem. Uh, We are growing sugarcane.
1: Well, what we always talk about is we got to figure out how did we get in this mess in the first place for whatever the mess happens to be. Uh, so, for example, iron deficiency, chlorosis, why are we having that? Uh, sudden death syndrome, why are we having that? So in his case with salt, obviously drainage is the the real big issue. So I have been to India and it can be very wet and humid there at times of the year, but it can also be dry at other times, and I don't know where in India he's farming. It's, an, it's a very big country, obviously. But anyway, I'm I, the first step that we always talk about Is get drain tile in the ground so we can flush any excess water out and along with that we take salt out it just unfortunately takes a little bit of time you can't get rid of all the salt in one shot but once you have that tile in there then the salt is going to flush out because it is leachable so over time you will get it out the next thing we're looking for though so just like we talk about with saline soils here in the United States or in Canada we, we want to see, well, how's the rest of our soil? In, on, in terms of the soil test, where are we at with calcium? That's probably my number one thing. If we have an adequate amount of calcium out there, we like calcium mainly for the fact that it helps the soil be more porous. It allows more water to flow through. It's the most important nutrient that there is for soils, and it's a very important nutrient for plants also. But anyway, if we've got really good levels of calcium out there already, then our problem is mostly solved. So it just depends on when when you say salt, I assume we are talking about an actual salt. If we have sodium, for example, that's a different thing entirely sodium or a sodic soil is not yet in the salt form and we want to convert it over to the salt form. So when you mentioned sulfur, usually people are putting sulfur out there in their sodic soils to convert the sodium to sodium sulfate, which would be leachable. So what I would like to see, what I'm curious about is maybe some more soil test information, but I think just by what you've done so far, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Now, the next thing is What's the first crop that we can get growing out there in very salty ground? Barley, for example, is something we talk about commonly in our region of the world that is fairly salt tolerant. You can get it growing when a lot of other crops won't grow very well. And the point is we want to get something going out there. The more organic matter you get built in the soil, the better off you are. Just the more organic material, the better off you are. So sometimes what some people will do is they'll just take bales of straw or hay and just uh, throw it out there, till that in. And sometimes that, that can help move some of that salt out a little quicker, absorb a little more, allow the crop to grow better. I mean, many, many things that you can do. But like I say, the tile was number one, and I'm glad you did that.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Again, another one here from Chris. And Chris says, we farm ground with low organic matter and low parent fertility. We've had very good luck over the years banding large amounts of fertilizer, 350 pounds per acre, putting dry fertilizer on corn. Even in no-till with poor fertilizer incorporation, we've seen good results. Uh, Any other suggestions you have? I just recently heard a daily radio update that you did about banding fertilizer with the planter.
1: Well, I'd like to see the soil test information because as soon as we talk about all right, you put on 350 pounds of fertilizer. That doesn't tell me a whole lot because I don't know what your ratio was. Was it, nitro- yeah, you know, the was thing, it almost all nitrogen? Or what what, what was I was it? thinking
0: about too, Brian, is just phosphorus and how that doesn't move much in soil. Yep. That's, that's, one, yep. that's the one concern I'd have, Chris, is that uh, I'm glad you're getting a response. That's good. And I would say whatever you could do to get that phosphorus down in the soil, whether that's uh, two by two or... Uh, something deeper or a strip-till band, uh, just some way to push that down. That would be really helpful as well.
1: Yeah, it's just just because we're successful at something doesn't mean we need to uh, not continue to improve. So I'm glad you're asking the question and you're thinking about, hey, how do I get better? I mean, that's that's one of the first steps. But yeah, for, for us on our farm, we were kind of in the same boat you were. We were putting on fertilizer. For the most part, we were fairly happy with it, but didn't really know exactly what we were doing. And so probably 20 years ago, we started doing a better job of soil testing. And in the last five years, we've done a lot better job with soil testing, going to smaller grids, really analyzing everything from not just N, P, and K, but micronutrients, sulfur and the other secondary nutrients, looking at... Uh, hey, how are we sitting for base saturation, soil pH? So lots of super important factors there other than just, hey, we're throwing out a number of total pounds. So, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see the soil test, and then we can fine-tune the recommendation a little bit better.
0: I appreciate that, Chris. Thanks for the question. I got one from Levi here. He said... Uh... Brian has been talking about insecticide being inexpensive. We're in a corn-on-corn corn operation. We've been using a triple-stack set of traits in our corn. We still had rootworm pressure last year, which makes me think maybe the traits aren't working so well. That being said, we'll need to use at least a half rate of Aztec HC with the smart boxes on our planter, which costs around 12 bucks for the for the half rate per acre wondering what insecticide brian's team uses that's inexpensive and still takes care of
1: rootworm pressure okay a couple of things when i talk about cheap insecticide the cheapest is are the foliar products and there it's a cheap which not work for rootworm Mm, larvae right could work for rootworm beetles uh foliar but not for rootworm larvae um, although, as I say that, there is something we can do. We'll talk about that in just a second. But anyway, we we'll, we we'll usually talk about uh, let's say Warrior, that active ingredient, the lambda and generic. There, you're probably talking two bucks an acre for the full rate post. Even Band, you might be talking four bucks an acre full rate post. Well, full I, as I say, full rate depends on which insect you're after. But but anyway, the point is two to four dollars. So to me, that's cheap. Now, when we talk about Corn rootworm, then you've got a couple of very inexpensive choices. The first that we run with is capture LFR and actually capture LFR VGR, so we get a biological and with it too. That's somewhere in the six to eight dollar range for full rate. Um, and if you're if you only want to run half rate, let's say, then obviously you're a lot less. But my suggestion, most of the time, as cheap as it is, we will typically say full rate, six to eight bucks, no big deal. If you wanted to go generic bifenthrin, you'll probably spend 3 to $5 an acre, somewhere around that that range. It's just with that, you've got to run that completely separate from anything else. Can't go with fungicide, can't go with fertilizer. You have to run that all by itself. So you'll need another system on your planter if you choose to go the generic route as opposed to the name-brand Capture LFR. Okay, Uh, then when we start talking about the dry insecticides – The reason why they cost more is they are a little bit more effective. Is Aztec at the full rate going to be better than capture liquid at the full rate? Yes, it is. But Aztec, like you said, half rate's twelve bucks. Um, I don't think it costs us quite that much. I'm going to say maybe twenty-one, twenty-two for full rate here. But anyway, if I start comparing in the twenty to twenty-four dollar range for a full rate of Aztec versus six to eight dollar range for a full rate of Capture LFR, well, it, the Capture LFR doesn't have to be as good when it costs that much less. But yeah, typically we're talking about the liquids that get really inexpensive, and it's either the name brand or the generic on that by Fenthrin or as we talk about Capture LFR.
0: Thanks for the question, Levi. I really appreciate that. We'll get back to more of your calls and questions right after this. You're listening to AG PhD Radio.
3: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burn down failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions.
4: Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agris specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com.
2: Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com.
3: Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature-humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at StepsGMS.com. Welcome
0: back. You're listening to AgPhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. We're taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844 44 AGPhD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, AgPhD Media, Brian Hefty, or Darren Hefty. Got a question uh, just came in from Landon and he's down in Oklahoma and I thought this was interesting. He said, I've got some heavy ground, sticky, stays wet for a long time and took some soil samples, found out I've got high CEC and high magnesium, no surprise there, but I was surprised to see how low the pH is in some areas. So we're going to put some lime out there, variable rate to raise the pH into the sixes. And we're going to get a lot of calcium that way, which is great for our base saturation ratio. Some of those base saturation calciums are down in the 40s, so that'll be a nice thing. But he said, the problem is I've got some high pH spots out there that could also use calcium. I'm wondering what you think about us putting out gypsum in those areas to try to fix that calcium yep. and then i know that you guys like drain tile it's just really expensive here i'm concerned it would take a long time to pay do you think if we just got the calcium percentages up we may go a long ways towards fixing
1: our drainage issue yes uh where where is he from again oklahoma yep okay so things are obviously a little bit different in oklahoma than they are in the midwestern united states or in southern canada However, he is dealing with a lot of the exact same issues that we have where the cation exchange capacity is relatively high, 22 to 29. I'm looking at a soil test right now. So that tells me that we uh, it's going to take a fair amount of anything to change stuff in the soil uh, because the ground is relatively heavy. And he's going to need relatively tight spacings in terms of that, that drain tile. The biggest fear we have in those hotter climates, like Oklahoma and Texas, for example, isn't usually flooding. It's that we're going to lose a lot of water to evaporation and then our salt levels get high. Now, when I look at his sodium levels, for example, I don't see salt on here anywhere unless you see it, Darren. Um, I don't see salt. I see
0: that he's got sodium on there, but I I don't see us And
1: that's 1%. For the most part, so it doesn't seem like we got a a real big issue there. But if if you follow along with what I'm saying, if there's a lot of excess water there and it evaporates, then it brings salt and sometimes sodium to the soil surface. That can cause a real problem for your crop long term. So that's one of the reasons why we like like tile drainage in the southern climates that are warmer. In the northern climates where we're colder, then we like it. Just we got to get rid of water. We actually have too much water. It's not as common to have too much water in a lot of areas of Oklahoma, for example. Uh, but yes, it potentially could help you to have some tile on the ground. Um, without knowing your ground and if water stands or if, if I think I got a real problem with that, and so all we're talking about is the nutrients here, then yes, I would agree with you 100%. You need lime in that low pH ground. You need gypsum in the high pH ground. And here's the big thing, too, as I'm looking at your soil tests, your sulfur levels are low. So that gypsum is only going to help you on two in two aspects. It's not just the calcium, but it's that sulfur that you're going to get out there and the sulfate form that the plant needs. That's great. I would also take a strong look at, hey, you might need a little bit more potassium. You definitely need more phosphorus. His levels are low there. His zinc is a half part per million, which isn't enough. Uh, boron, half part per million, that's not enough. So, I mean, there are many things you can focus on. And I I, I guess we continue talking about this all the time. A lot of people want to look so much at nitrogen, and yes, I'm super happy you're looking at the pH, but that's actually fairly common, too. People will, will be concerned about nitrogen and pH, Somewhat phosphorus, a little bit potassium, but then most of the other stuff they kind of forget about. Just continue to work on all these little things, and you most likely are going to see your yields going up. Hey, one other thing that I'll throw out, since we are talking Oklahoma, and in a lot of cases in Oklahoma, people talk about being short on moisture, at least at certain times of the year. Just don't ever forget, now this is no matter where you are and no matter what crop you're raising, the better job you do with fertility in terms of having an ample amount, and a balanced ratio of fertility in the soil the more drought tolerant your crop is going to be if your crop starts running short on any nutrient it's going to start pulling more water in that's just the way the crop works because that's typically how nutrients are coming in is with water so in effect if your crop is short on nutrients now you're making it a water waster and you don't want to waste water early in the season (laughs) now So for some people, they're thinking, "Hey, wait a second! I wanted to waste lots of water last year because we had so much." You know, it's kind of like our, our discussion with tile. I was talking about tile just a little bit earlier in the show. And what I'll occasionally do when when people start uh, thinking that there's something wrong with tile, or you know, we're going to take all the water out of the ground, I go, "No, we're only going to take the toxic water out." And people go, what? The toxic water? It's not toxic water in soil. And I go, oh, yeah, there is. What does toxic actually mean? Well, it means we're going to kill something, right? Well, if your ground is sitting 100% saturated, it's full on water, that means there's no room for oxygen. And that now means that your plant roots are going to die. Many of your beneficial soil microbes are going to die. A lot of the beneficial uh, things like even earthworms in the soil could potentially die. That sounds like toxic to me. When we put drain tile in the ground, all we're doing is we're lowering the water table. And you're still going to be at field capacity for, for moisture. But anyway, uh, so my, 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 my point with this whole thing is get your nutrients in balance. Get you know everything you can control um, in good shape. And hopefully you're raising a lot better crop moving forward.
0: All right, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Uh, I got one from Nate here a fertility question. He said, I was planning on using dry ammonium sulfate this spring after planting. I was wondering how much ammonium sulfate would work if it was applied before the soil finisher. Oh, I'm wondering how the ammonium sulfate would work if it was applied before the soil finisher with a PK micro blend. Uh, So it's all worked in before planting. Or if it would be better to save the ammonium sulfate for after planting and just lay it right on top. Now, if it could be tilled in, I could save a trip across the fields. that's what I'd prefer. And I'm also hoping uh, to see some little bit of difference in my soil pH. How much ammonium sulfate do you think it would take to move
1: that? Don't count on much pH change. That's no big deal. But in terms of ammonium sulfate, yeah, you can absolutely put it out there before you work the ground. That's most of the time what we suggest. Chest. Okay. Thanks. Now, oh, I would say both nitrogen and nitrate and sulfate can leach down in the ground. Let's keep in mind. So it's not like it's super critical that you till it in, but you certainly can till it in. It's not going to hurt anything. And I prefer it that way because I just don't like my nutrients laying on the soil surface, especially in hilly land. When it, you have flat land, it's not as big a deal.
0: Hey, um, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Uh, Back to the last question, Landon from Oklahoma just sent in a response. He said, the crops that are grown on this farm are wheat, sorghum, and sesame.
1: I don't know what sesame requires for pH, do you? No. Uh, Yep. So wheat and sorghum, well, uh, okay, let's start with wheat. Wheat would prefer that that pH be up closer to 7. The sorghum is going to be just fine if you're low to mid-sixes. With sesame, though, I don't know. And this is an important thing because Landon is the one who just sent that question in from Oklahoma about raising his soil pH. And that's great. When you're down in the fives, almost every crop is going to benefit and most of your uh, soil life will benefit. The ideal soil
0: pH, uh, just with a quick internet yep. search, Brian, is between five and a half and eight. Well, if you so,
1: found it on the internet, it has to be right, Darren. Abs- so, that's what I'm saying. It,
0: it, it may or may not be right. But <laughs> but I'm seeing five that, and a half to eight. I'm seeing is, that from multiple sources. Okay, well,
1: let's put it this way. That's wrong. Uh, it's what we it's, are it's looking, a wide range. Right. Yes. It's too wide a range. What we're looking for is, what's the ideal pH? That's what I really want to know. The ideal pH... For wheat And the ideal pH for sorghum are relatively close. Sorghum would be a little bit lower than wheat, but we're talking in the sixes. Okay. And anyway, the reason why I bring this up is there are certain crops out there like blueberries, for example, that you want it down in the five, five and a half pH. So in that case, we wouldn't want to put lime on our soil. We would want to leave that pH where it is, but I'm glad Landon put down what crops he is intending to raise because it looks like, to me, he's going to benefit by getting that pH up into the sixes, at least into the low sixes.
0: If you have an agronomic question you've been dying to ask, now is your chance. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. White mold and sudden death syndrome are two of the most important fungal diseases in soybean production today. But did you know 40 to 50 million acres in the north central region are affected annually? When every season has different disease challenges, the question becomes how can you ensure the best start for your soybeans no matter what? The answer is Heads Up Seed Treatment. Trusted by growers across the Midwest, Heads Up offers a new mode of action to prime your beans to help fight fungal
2: disease. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com.
4: If you like most
0: farmers, you start thinking about next year's herbicide program right now. And the first step to a clean start next spring is applying Authority MTZDF herbicide this fall. Nothing burns down tough winter annuals, including common chickweed, henbit, and mare's tail, like a tank mix containing Authority MTZ DF herbicide. Talk to your FMC
2: star retailer about Authority MTZ DF herbicide, or visit fmcauthority.com. Always read and follow label directions. Authority is not registered for sale or use in California. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Tired of that old warped poly boom ruining your spray applications? Express Boom from Hypro is a fully assembled stainless steel boom that ensures an even application of chemicals every time. Don't wait another season. Upgrade today. Hypro, helping you spray better. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pot fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by ActiGrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information.
0: Back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're taking some questions here via phone lines and also uh, email. You can send us an email question, radio at agphd.com or you can just call us at 844 44 ag Go on from Jason in Idaho and he attached a soil sample and a lime analysis done on some sugar beet lime. And he had some questions on that as far as what do you think of the quality of the lime? We know it's not very good, but that's all we've got to use here.
1: Wait, uh, he just said the lime isn't very good?
0: He said 72% ECCE, but the calcium carbonate content is only 30%. Is that normal? or or why? Oh, yeah. No, that's, is that just because it's processing lime, okay. so it's got water in it yet.
1: Okay, continue with your question and then I'll I'll talk more about this okay. lime. And then he said, I just uh, want to clarify that he said the lime wasn't very good and I would disagree with that, but I'll get to that in a second. Okay, okay go ahead.
0: Uh, he's got got low pH soil, low organic matter, and low CEC. And he's wondering, should he be using the Bray P1 test? They're using the Malek test out there. Is that fine? Uh, he thought it was a little crazy that Midwest Labs was not recommending any phosphorus for his potatoes. He said normally he's putting on 90 pounds split in between the hill and broadcast and still coming up short on the plant test. Uh, and then he, he asked, should he try and build his K and MAG levels this spring or wait a year uh, since he's already applied the lime uh, to see what that lime does?
1: Okay, great questions. Let's start with this lime quick. So for our listeners, I will give you the three numbers that are very important when I look at this. Actually, I got five numbers I should probably give you, but let's start with the effective calcium carbonate equivalent, 72.1. Uh, That is pretty good. The percent passing through a 60 sieve, and quite frankly, I'd like to see what passes through a 100 sieve, but passing through a 60 sieve, 98.3%. That's great. So I'm very happy with that. So in other words, it's a fine lime. That means that we're going to change that, that soil pH quickly and fairly effectively. Uh, one of the other, the, mo- the next most important number I'm looking at is the moisture is only 11.1%, which tells me you're getting a lot when you're putting this stuff out there. Uh, it's not a lot of water. In terms of the calcium to magnesium ratio, it's 30% calcium and just over 1% magnesium. So it is what we would call a calcitic lime. Now here's the thing. For any of our listeners, if you are getting lime, what I would really like you to do is don't just test the stand take the standard lime. This is a standard lime test. To me that's not enough and here's why. He's getting sugar beet lime. There's a reason why his phosphorus levels are as high as they are in his soil test and by the way, P1 phosphorus in some parts of of I, let's see, I think it's one field. Yeah, it looks like one field. Um Well, anyway, uh, are as high as 100 parts per million on the P1. 100 parts per million. So you multiply that times 2 to get pounds per acre. That's 200. You multiply that times 2.3 to convert it over to phosphate. And we're talking about almost 500 pounds of available phosphate right off the bat. So (laughs) that's pretty good. But anyway, here's why that is. Because in his sugar beet lime, he's most likely getting a high amount of phosphorus. We see that in sugar beet lime throughout the United States. So what I really would like is send the lime sample in, yes. But when you have them test for the standard lime thing, run a complete analysis. Let's find out how many micronutrients we have in there. Let's find out how much how much phosphorus and how much sulfur. What I, where I'm going with this is you might be able to cut back on your commercial fertilizer knowing that you're going to put sugar beet lime on some of your acres. Now, the other thing, when you listen to our show on a regular basis, what do you hear us talk about when it comes to soil testing? One of the words we love to use is, hey, there's a lot of variability in your field. So he's got one area where it's 6.7 pH. He's 10.4% magnesium, 83% calcium. He's 4.7% Potassium. I mean, you look at those numbers and you go, that's actually pretty good. I mean, could I bump the magnesium and potassium just a little bit? Sure, but I'm awful close to where I would like to be. But then he's got other spots where you go, hey, wait a second, what's going on here? I only have a 5.1 pH, I only have 7.8% magnesium. Uh, Not so good. So some areas are going to need a lot of lime, and other areas, well, I Let me take that back. Some areas are going to need some lime and other areas not so much. One of the things is, when I look at his soil, is it's pretty light soil. We're talking 6 to 10 cations exchange capacity. So it doesn't take a lot to change how much potassium is out there in ratio with everything else. It doesn't take a lot of lime to get his pH back up. In terms of that recommendation, so if you said, hey, I sent this into Midwest Labs and they tell me I don't need phosphorus, well, the reason why they're telling you that is because it looks like your levels are super high. Now, you can run a malic 3 test. That a lot of times will get you... Uh, the p2 equivalent so that's the strong bray test that's not what's available today that's what's available today plus what they think is going to be available next summer and that's good information to have it's also kind of nice to know what's available right now this second today that's what the p1 or weak bray test tells you also so i'd run the bray tests. Um uh, that that is usually what we have found to work well, but the malek is fine too. There's a ratio between malek and, and the uh, Bray tests that you could certainly look up. I would also say we've got issues with there's not enough sulfur out here, not enough zinc, not enough copper, not enough boron. So focusing on some of these micronutrients could be real important in your case. And finally, y- you brought up an important thing, Darren. He said there isn't enough phosphorus in my tissue analysis that I'm doing later on. What we always encourage you to do is don't trust anyone on recommendations, even us. Prove to yourself that, hey, in my soil, in my situation, where I'm at, what I'm doing, could I put more phosphorus on, and have a yield gain or tonnage gain or quality gain, whatever you're shooting for with your particular crop, and just see if it pans out. Because, yeah, normally the standard thing is when we see phosphorus levels that high, we're going to go, it might pay yet, but the odds are much greater that something else is going to pay even more. And in his case, I'm looking at pH, sulfur, zinc, copper and boron should pay more than throwing more phosphorus out but i'd still if you want to continue trying a little more phosphorus and see if that pays but the data would not suggest that it's going to pay as well as focusing on some of the other nutrients
0: all right. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that, Jason. Hope that helps. Uh, get a question from Jamie in Wisconsin. He said, we get too wet this fall to get much tiling done. I've got a number of questions and I plan to come to your
1: tiling clinic in January. My favorite um, topic. I wish we had a whole show to do this. Go ahead, Darren.
0: I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> what do you do at that meeting? Also, I'm looking for the best strategies for how I should handle tile for tax reasons with depreciation, etc.
1: Okay. In terms of the tax thing, talk to your tax advisor and then they can run through section 179, bonus depreciation, standard depreciation, um, what could potentially be expensed if it's a small enough thing. So you're going to have to work with your tax person on that. And almost every year the tax laws change. But yes, you're going to get some benefit back in terms of the tax side for sure. Uh, What do we cover at our tiling clinic? A lot of different things. We've got that right on our website at agphd.com. I believe they have all that information now posted. Uh, Let's see. In terms of, well, actually, they don't. Janelle, uh, why don't you make sure that we get that, get more information on there posted Uh, Yeah, I don't see that we have have, a lot of details. We'll
0: have uh, one of the nation's leading drainage lawyers there. We'll have NRCS people there talking about uh, their end of drainage and and farmland and so forth. We'll have equipment there. We'll have software providers there. Uh, Just... Uh, Almost everything start to finish that you're going to need.
1: And that's usually what I tell people. It's start to finish tiling. Whether you've tiled your entire life or you've never tiled before, uh, you're going to get some good information out of this. Also, one of the most important things, so especially if you've never tiled before, you've got to know all the positive things about tile. And all the negative things that people are going to say and how you address that with them so they start to feel more comfortable. So we talk right away about erosion, about flooding, about water quality, about road conditions. If you can talk through those things, you can see pretty quickly, uh, you know, how people get brainwashed into thinking tile's bad when all the media say it's bad and non-farmers, people who don't know it, they don't, they've never worked with it, never seen it. They they automatically are going to say it's bad. It's bad. It's not. It's fantastic. But you need to have the data. And so we will actually give you university data and all the ammunition you need so you can properly phrase it to all the people that you're talking to the ones you're going to work with everybody from NRCS to the road departments to your neighbors and landlords
0: thanks for the question Jamie and uh, look forward to seeing you in January at our Ag PhD tiling clinic and uh, I don't know if Brian mentioned it but the tiling clinic is free so that's another another perk for you too thanks for listening to our show today be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD radio